Life Church. We're just so glad that you could all join us again this Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to just focus your attention on the Lord right now, and let's just all enter in to a time of worship and give Him the praise that's due His name. Amen.
Queen. 
church. Stay tuned for a great message and we'll see ya.
Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Life Church, and welcome to all of you who have joined us for this online series called The God Questions. Now, today, the big question that we're going to tackle is this. Why is forgiveness such a big deal? And in order to answer that question and to get started, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer. Lots of us are very familiar with this. We're going to read the words of the words of Scripture that are commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Here's how it goes. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Think about this phrase. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want to start with this. What does it mean to have a debtor? Anybody here ever ever incurred a debt? I bet you have. If you have a debt, it means you have something you have to pay back. If you have debtors, that means someone owes you. Someone has to pay you back. That's how debt works, right? Now, I realize in the, with current events, might confuse some because there are plenty out there who think that we can just somehow print more money and spend our way out of a financial crisis. If I'm the first to tell you, let me tell you, that doesn't work in the long run, okay? Disaster awaits. But debt itself is actually pretty simple. You owe or somebody owes you. Say you have a mortgage or a credit card, something like that. You have to pay something off. How many of you have discovered this startling reality? Nobody pays it off for you. I mean, that's just life. We have to pay it off ourselves. There's a very simple rule about debt. You ready? It's this. You owe, you pay. Say that with me. You owe, you pay. Test me in this if you don't believe me. Just go down to your bank and ask the manager, this debt that I have is just too much for me. It's, it's hampering my lifestyle, plus it's just depressing. So if it's all the same to you, I'm just not going to pay out anymore. Is that okay with you? Is that cool? See if that flies, huh? See, the people who lend money are actually pretty touchy about this sort of thing. They keep very, very careful accounts. You've got to pay them back or you'll get a visit from a guy named Vito. Matter of fact, we have a name for people on the street who lend money and are determined to get it back. And we call those people a loan, what? A loan shark, right? It's not the loan bunny. <laughs> we wish it was. But for them, it, it's, it's just business. It is all business. The loan shark has one rule. You owe, you pay. So how does this all work with what Jesus taught us here? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, forgive us our debts with God means forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we have sinned against you. Because you and I, we have sinned against God. We have somehow incurred a mountain of moral debt that we can't pay off. But you've also been sinned against. Everyone that's watching this right now has been sinned against. You haven't just been the perpetrator of sin. You've also been the victim of sin. You've been sinned against. You have some debtors. Someone that you thought you could trust hurt you. They were jealous or said bad things about you, maybe twisted the truth about you. Maybe someone in business deliberately cheated you 
stole some money from you, took advantage of you. They didn't care that it would devastate you. We've all been victims of sin. We all have debtors. And this brings you to a spiritual crossroads of immense proportions. What are you going to do with people who have sinned against you? I want all of us today to be very, very clear about how Jesus thinks about this. And I want us to look not just at one phrase, but actually just at one word, a single word. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That one word, as, is one of the most sobering words in all of Scripture. Uh, there was a British author by the name of Charles Williams who said this, No word in the English carries greater possibility of terror than the little word as in that clause. Matthew chapter 18 has a whole story that's a commentary on this one word. So the context there is that Peter here has a dead or. He's dealing with forgiveness with someone in the community. He wants to know about forgiveness, so he asks Jesus, and Jesus, as he often does, tells him a story. And here's how it begins in verse number 23 of Matthew 18. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. One who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had until payment was made. So it's time for this king to collect. And this one man owed him a very, very large debt. Let me just give you a perspective of the size of this debt. One talent in Jesus' day was huge. It's huge. In a whole year, all of the cumul cumulative taxes that were brought in by Judea and Samaria to pay the Roman Empire, a year of that only amounted to 600 talents. So it was big bucks. But here it says 10,000 talents. What Jesus does is take the largest denominator in use, and then he just amplifies it. It's for us, it's a little like when we say a bazillion. It's like a bazillion dollars. So immediately, several things would become very clear to the listeners of Jesus. First, the first thing that would strike them would be, how would a servant ever get so much money? Ever. Kings are just not in the habit of giving national debt-sized loans to servants. So there's really just one answer. The king in this story is a character of staggering generosity. There's no other way to account for this. He's incredibly generous. Then there's a second shocking fact here as well. What kind of servant would take so much money from a king, blow it all, and make no provision for the day of reckoning? This is a fool of epic proportions. And then there's a third striking truth here as well. The king of the lavish provision is also the king of the settled account. He will, he will settle accounts. He's committed to justice. This is not just a story about someone getting off the hook because of fuzzy bookkeeping by a sloppy king. No, no. This is not the kind of king who would say at the end of the day, uh, whatever, no big deal. We'll just let this go. Now, this is a very rare parable in that it's only found 
in Matthew's Gospel. And I think there's a reason why it stuck with Matthew. Anybody remember what Matthew's occupation was? He was a tax collector. Tax collectors understand settling accounts, don't they? So Matthew knew all about this kind of stuff. When it came to reasons and excuses why people couldn't pay their debts, Matthew had heard every lame excuse in the book. So D-Day comes for this foolish servant, and the king says to him these unfortunate words, sell him, sell his wife, his children, and everything they have. That was not an unusual thing in that day. Imprisonment for debt was very, very common at that time to motivate relatives to try to come up with the money to pay them and free them. But here, friends, this debt is absolutely unpayable. That means that this man and his wife and his children would just be sold from one generation to the next because they could never, ever pay it off. The gavel sounds. Next case. That was just it. And so this would be no surprise to the listeners of Jesus here because they knew the rule. You owe, you pay. But then it gets interesting. Something happens in the mind of this servant. He's desperate now. He's got nothing to lose. So he just throws up a Hail Mary. Look what it says in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him saying, be patient with me and I will pay back everything, he said. Now notice the exact request there. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, remember the size of the debt. What are the odds that this unemployed servant would be able to pay back the debt that is the size of the gross national product? It's a joke. <laughs> it's, a, it's an insult to the king's intelligence. More likely, I think this guy is still just kind of scamming here. He's still trying to get off the hook. Whatever's going on in his head, this is just the last-ditch, long-shot effort of a very, very desperate man. And all of Jesus' listeners knew what to expect because they knew the rule. You owe, you pay. I mean, he's a just king. He keeps books. The axe is going to fall. And then Jesus says in verse 27, listen. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. So he looks at this scared, selfish, desperate fool, and he's moved with pity. So first, he releases the man. No prison. He saves him, saves his family, his kids, gives him back his home. He's released, but then he goes way beyond that. He forgives the debt. He forgives it. Think about this for a moment. This is a mountain of debt. This is a, a huge sum of money. And it doesn't just disappear, does it? Somebody has to pay. Someone's got to take the loss. So who pays? The king pays here. He's offering a whole new reality. And it is, you owe, I'll pay. You owe, I'll pay. This is the economy of grace. The king says, I will pay the unpayable debt. I'll take the hit. I'll take the whole price on myself so you can go free. I'll take the loss. You owe, I'll pay. 
Now, imagine what happens when this man goes home, sees his wife, sees his kids. They're not going to live and die in prison after all. They go free. They got their life back. And they don't even have to pay the debt. And it's all because of grace. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Because this is really your story. This is my story. Jesus says there's a king, there is a just God who is lavishly generous and perfectly just at the same time. And people have accumulated a vast, unpayable mountain of moral debt before him. And it grows all the time. How? Every time we sin, it is cosmic treason against the holy God. It is saying, I know what the right thing to do is here, and I'm not going to do it. So anytime you're less than honest, you add to the debt. Every time you fudge an expense account or a tax return, you add to the debt. Every time you're unloving with a child, or anyone really, every time that you shouldn't have made that cutting remark, but you did, every time you should have spoken in love, but you didn't, every time that God blessed you and you weren't grateful, every time you gossiped, Every selfish act, every judgmental attitude, it's adding to this mountain of moral debt. It grows all the time. And every human being is in the same boat. Every single one of us. My friends, I'm a pastor. I've devoted my whole adult life to spiritual growth. And it took me about 30 seconds to come up with that list. You know why? Because Pastor Rick has done every one of those things. No, I'm, I'm kidding. The list is me. It's you. It's all of us. But one day the king came to me, foolish me, and he said, you owe, but I'm going to pay. And one day the king came to you with that mountain of moral debt. And he said, you owe, but I'll pay. That forgiveness cost him the life of his son. You and I, we owe everything, everything to God's grace. But then there's a second act that comes. And this begins in verse 28 here in Matthew 18. It says, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. It says, Pay me what you owe. So this time, he is the one that is owed money. And in verse 29, that fellow servant comes back to him and he says precisely the same words to him that he had said to the king earlier. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, said, and I will pay you back. I'll pay you back everything. But it says he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he paid back what he owed. Threw him in prison. Now Jesus' listeners here would expect, well, surely he's going to do for this man what the king did for him. And in Act 1, the story involved a servant and a king. They're not peers. They're not peers. So the listeners knew that this man would show grace because this time around the guy is a peer and the debt is just tiny by comparison. So the second debtor is making an infinitely smaller request. And for the first servant to receive grace for a mountain of debt and then withhold it for an ounce of debt would just be unthinkable. 
Now, this guy had been on the receiving end of the greatest outlay of grace in history. So they knew he would just be waiting to reciprocate at the first possible opportunity. So imagine the shock of Jesus' listeners when this man who received grace shows no compassion. And the second part of verse 28 says, he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. To seize somebody by the throat is an act of violence and contempt. So he doesn't forgive the debt. He doesn't even give the guy time to pay it off. He just throws him in prison where the guy has no hope whatsoever. He violates the grace of the king in every respect, in spirit, in tone, in word, in deed. He blows it. And here's the deal. This guy never really got grace at all. If you notice this first servant, he never asked for grace in the first place. Remember what he said to the king. He said, I will pay for everything. And when the grace was given, there was really no response, no thanks, no brokenness, no desire to honor the king's goodness. This guy was offered grace, but he never really got it. When you seek forgiveness, you seek to rebuild a relationship. You want to set right anything that you can, not to earn it, but just because it's a part of reconciliation. There's a world of difference, friends, between wanting to be forgiven and just wanting to get off the hook. I don't think this guy was interested in grace or forgiveness at all. What is clear is that he had no intention of giving grace. He was happy to take the king's grace, but he wouldn't offer it. Now, I'm going to stop again for a moment because I want to recognize that I can be like this servant because I'm a forgiven debtor and the debt between me and God is infinitely greater than what any person has ever sinned against me. I'm like the servant in this story because I'm the biggest debtor that I know. I don't know about your debts. I don't have access to your inner world or your secret anger or your envy or your greed or anything else like that. I only know mine, my shortcomings. I know the ways that I would like to be different. I'm the biggest debtor I know. And you know what else? You're the biggest debtor that you know. And in light of that, to withhold grace from someone else is just unthinkable. Now let's look what this says in verse 31 here. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master. Because remember, this is a story about someone saved by grace. Someone whose debt was forgiven by grace. And verse 23 told us that this was a parable about life in the kingdom. So whenever people see someone who claims to be in God's kingdom, who claims to be a part of the community of grace, and yet they actually withhold grace from somebody else, well, they ought to be greatly distressed. Well, there's a final act here. The servant is brought in one more time, but this time it's a whole different story, whole different tenor. Here's what it says in verse 32. Then summoning him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant in the same way that I had mercy on you? There is no pleading, no bargains this time. This time the king says to the servant, 
you didn't get it at all, did you? It just didn't sink in. You badly misunderstood me, friend. You thought that grace meant that I was just a fuzzy-minded incompetent that would let you abuse whomever you choose. You thought you could be the same self-centered, unforgiving person that you were before. You were badly mistaken. You were shown forgiveness, but you won't give it. You were offered grace, yet you have chosen vengeance. So, okay, have it your way. Then verse 34, look what it says. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Wow. And then, then comes one of the most sobering verses in all of Scripture. This is what Jesus says. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive one another from your heart. Jesus makes it clear how our horizontal forgiveness should mirror the vertical forgiveness that we've been given. Would we dare to deny any peer or really anyone in our life a small fraction of the grace that we have already received? I think that if we could even consider not forgiving someone else, it shows that we, like this unmerciful servant, never really got it in the first place. I mean, look closely at the response here. He's forgiven this unthinkable amount, yet there's no mention of thanks, no expression of gratitude of any kind. He just flees. And the first thing he does is goes and finds someone who owes him a nickel and he grabs him by the throat. He doesn't at all understand the grace that's been given to him. He just wanted off the hook. And friends, time will tell if that's what we're like or if we really understand grace. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You've got some debtors. Maybe it's a mother or a father. Maybe it's a sister or brother. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe a husband or wife. Will you choose grace? Now, I want to say a word about forgiving. To forgive someone does not mean to excuse wrongdoing. doesn't mean being a doormat. No, not at all. Some of you have experienced some very, very deep wounds. You were abused, maybe betrayed. Forgiving does not mean that that behavior can just go unconfronted. There's a difference between forgiving someone and reconciling with them. If someone sins against you and refuses to acknowledge truth, you might not be able to reconcile. You really can't build on a relationship unless there's a mutual understanding of truth and repentance where it's appropriate. Forgiving them means you give up the right to hurt them back and you wish them well before God. And you can do that. Might take a while and you will need help. But it is the only way, friends. And the stakes are so, so very high. It's an author by the name of Philip Yancey who wrote, wrote this. He said, I have a friend whose marriage has gone through tumultuous times. One night, George passed a breaking point. He pounded the table and screamed at his wife, I hate you. I won't take it anymore. I won't go on. No, no, no. Several months later, this friend woke up in the middle of the night and he heard 
sounds coming from the room where his two-year-old son was sleeping. And he stood outside his son's door and shivers ran down his spine. So the, the two-year-old was repeating with precise inflection the exact words between his mom and dad. I hate you. I won't take it anymore. No more. No, no, no. This was a two-year-old. George realized that he had just bequeathed his pain and unforgiveness to a whole new generation of people. That's the fruit of unforgiveness, friends. And that's the story of our world, especially right now. This kind of stuff happens every day. But there is another way. It's the way of Jesus. And I just wonder how many friendships or families or relationships or churches might be healed if we actually live the words of the Lord's Prayer. And I think that the Holy Spirit has some work to do on the inside of us if we'll let Him. So I'm going to ask that we do something today. The Lord's Prayer is going to come up on the screen in just a moment. I'm going to read through that. I'm going to ask that you pray that along with me. But we're going to stop at that point when, when it talks about forgiving others as we have been forgiven. And when we stop, I'm going to say a few words there, but I want us to do a couple of things. First, remember the mountain of debt that God forgave you. And think about what it cost God. Think about your mountain. And then ask God to bring to your mind any debtor with whom you might have unfinished business. Just ask God to reveal any hardness of heart or any unforgiveness or bitterness in you that's lingering and to tell you about any work of grace that needs to happen in your soul. Just ask God to bring that to mind and resolve before God with his help that you will forgive. So let's pray this prayer together as Jesus taught us. And I'm going to ask that you let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So here we go. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm going to ask if you would just indulge me for a minute and close your eyes and kind of close yourself in with God. Doesn't someone owe you something, an apology, a second chance, a fresh start, an explanation, a thank you, a childhood, a marriage? You can probably make a list of folks who are in your debt. Your parents should have been more protective. Your children should have been more appreciative. Your spouse should be more sensitive. Your pastor should have been more attentive. What are you going to do with those in your debt? God does not question the reality of your wounds. He knows you've been sinned against. The issue is not the existence of pain. It is the treatment of pain. What are you going to do with your debts? Maybe the hurt is so deep you feel like you can't forgive. Ask God to help you forgive the way that you have been forgiven by him. Okay, you can open your eyes back up. You want to know when this world saw forgiveness at its very, very best? It was the day that they put Jesus on that cross. And while they were pounding the nails into his hands, he looked at his murderers and he said, Father, 
forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You know, the power that enabled Jesus to do that actually resides in you right now. So some of you, you've got a phone call to make. You've got an email to write, maybe a text to craft, but there's someone that you need to talk to. You've got some letting go to do. I'm going to challenge you to begin the journey of grace and forgiveness. One of the most important things that Jesus ever taught his followers was to forgive. To pray this, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. With God's help, you can do this. And I believe you will. Now, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of forgiveness. And we thank you for the power that you give us to forgive others. So Lord, you understand that the issue is not the existence of our pain. It's just the treatment of our pain. Would you help us to forgive and to release those that have hurt us so they don't hold power over us any longer? Lord, thank you for the power to do this. We believe that you'll help us, Lord. And we believe that you'll do this today. Thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in today, folks. Hope you have a great Sunday. And let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes. And the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. <laughs>